0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
1: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Well, hello there and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, because we're recording a podcast, the person sitting across from me is senior writer Jonathan Strickland.
0: There was no possibility of taking a walk that day.
1: That was a really short quote.
0: Yes. I, I you know, when you can always tell it's when I'm pressed for time, it's the short quotes. Well, originally, Chris and I, when we were talking about doing this series of podcasts, this being the third part on our series on GE, mm-hmm. uh, we originally talked about doing two episodes.
1: We yes, this do- is the third in our two-part <laughs> series. Yes, exactly,
0: we're going to do parts one and parts two. But then, as we looked at the history, and it is a long and and storied history, that uh we knew that we really couldn't fit that into two episodes unless we went super long and. Mm-hmm. We try and reserve the super long episodes for things like the 400th episode or talking to Brian Brushwood. So or we decided to something
1: that makes John Jonathan's uh, vein pop out on his forehead right, while right. he's screaming for half an hour.
0: Yeah, anything that makes me rant. So we wanted to try and uh, and keep it a little more manageable. So this is part three, um, and we thought we would start with a monumental event in the history of the United States and really in the world in general.
1: Mm-hmm. Or was- I actually not. In the world, in general.
0: Yes, it was out of this world. 1969, the lunar landing. Yes. Uh, which, for the purposes of this podcast, we are going to say actually happened on the moon. Yes. It was not a hoax. It was not done in some television studio. It really did happen, people. And uh, just just, just go with this. It, it did happen. Because if you say it didn't happen, there's a chance an astronaut is going to show up and deck you.
1: You know, I'm, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing either. I, I mean, you're, you know, you're I, looking at me when you say that. I completely, well, it's because you're across from me. Oh, good point. <laughs> so anyway,
0: yes, the lunar landing in 1969. So you've probably seen the, the iconic image of the footprint left behind by Neil Armstrong on the surface of the moon. Yes. Well, the company that made the, the, the material that created that boot print.
1: Silicone rubber, as it turns out.
0: That was GE. GE created the silicone rubber that was used in Neil Armstrong's boots as well as the other astronauts. So that that boot print is courtesy of GE's technology.
1: Yep. Oh, they also did a a couple other things like uh, quality control systems, uh, launch vehicle test facilities. Uh, ship to satellite communications for live color TV pictures of splashdown and recovery, systems engineering support, just little stuff.
0: Sure, but I'm talking about the boot, okay? Okay. Right, I'm talking about that footprint. So you're giving me the boot. I am is what you are boot. But no, that is – it's really cool. They did play – that was one of the companies that played a large part in getting people – to the moon. Uh, not the only one, obviously. There were many other companies that all contributed to that effort. But, uh, GE did make a significant contribution to, uh, the space race. And mm-hmm. it was pretty awesome to see that come together. And, uh, if you guys have never watched any video footage of the lunar landing, uh, I highly recommend you check it out. There's tons of it on the internet. Um, I like watching, uh, the reactions of the news anchors. When the lunar landing set down, because mm-hmm. you see these 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 people who have developed very, very stately professional personas on the air and you see them kind of you see that crack just a bit as the enormity of mm-hmm. this event hits them in real time. It's phenomenal. That it probably doesn't mean as much to you if you aren't familiar with their previous work. But for those who have seen footage of these newscasters, you uh, Reporting all sorts of events, including major tragedies, and see them kind of break down a little bit when they see people land on the moon. It kind of gives you an idea of how big a deal this was. Mm-hmm. It's easier for us to forget now because we're so far uh, removed from it. Mm-hmm. But it was enormous. And also, uh, I just anything that that shows that kind of level of awe in in, in human achievement to me is is really inspiring.
1: So, um, and those are Jonathan's feelings in a capsule. There you go. Uh,
0: 1970, the GE sold one of its divisions. This is one of those few times where GE did divest itself of something. Mm-hmm. It sold a computer division to a company called Honeywell. We'll have to do an episode on Honeywell at some point too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 1970, they sell uh, this computer division to Honeywell, which is why GE is not really into the whole computer side of uh, of the industry, um, and in 1971 they introduced something that uh, is very, again, really important to those of us in the South.
1: Well, it's especially cool. Yes, it is especially cool. Especially when you're on the go because it it's, was the, It's also handy. The first portable air conditioner called yes. the Carry Cool.
0: Yes, uh, very cool. Yes, definitely. Anything where you can move an air conditioner from room to room is awesome. Um, yeah, very important for those of us who live in warm climates. And in uh, 2012, when we were recording this, we had an exceptionally mild winter. Yes. Uh, mild is probably even going – being generous. It was warm to the point where we were hitting 80-degree temperatures in February, Yes, uh, which makes us worry about <laughs> – what the temperatures could be like in say May
1: or June or heaven help us August. Yes, um, uh, we we've talked about the many businesses with which GE was involved, and um, in 1971 also um, they uh, they worked for the French company actually to pull this off. But the uh, GE F 101 engine um, became the world's most successful aircraft engine. Just mm-hmm. uh, very very popular uh, machine. Um, and uh you know just another one of the uh transportation uh businesses that they were involved in there will be actually some some new ones that we haven't talked about in previous pod well something we touched on in previous podcast but not uh, the same way also the uh, the uh, second of the uh scientists at the uh, GE laboratories um, dr how would you pronounce his name ivari no,
0: Ivar Giever. gaver I have no idea. Uh, he it's got the Nobel G- Prize in the, Physics. The, his
1: last name is spelled G-I-A-E-V-E-R. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny thing about this is uh, he won this award in 1973, the Nobel in Physics, uh, for something he did in 1960. He discovered superconductive tunneling, and we've talked about that in previous podcasts yes. several times.
0: So if you want to know what superconductive tunneling is, this is one of those weird quantum effects that – that is perplexing and can also be very uh, irritating to computer engineers as yes. they design chips. Superconductive tunneling is that that uh, tendency for subatomic particles to pass through barriers as if the barrier is not there. Yes, uh, and in general, this has to do with the probability of a particle being within a certain area. As the particle approaches a a a barrier, there is a probability that the particle will be on the other side of that barrier. And as long as there's a probability, that means that there is going to be, at least in some instances, a case where the subatomic particle will be on the other side of that barrier as if it passed through it. Now, there is no actual tunnel left behind. It's not like there's a hole made through the barrier. It's just that there's a point where the subatomic particle is on one side and then it's on the other. And that's crazy, but it's also quantum. Uh, I should also point out that we were talking about 1973. Uh, Back in 72, just really briefly, uh, uh, Fred J. Borch retired in 72, and Reginald H. Jones became chairman and CEO.
1: Okay, so uh, Borch was the chairman and CEO.
0: Yeah, he, he was president and CEO, and then in 67, he became the chairman and CEO, and then in 72, he retires, and Reginald H. Jones becomes the chairman and CEO.
1: Okay, just since, you know. In, in case you were just tuning in.
0: Yes. Yes, yes, because that was in the last podcast. Yes. So pick us up, it was like ten minutes ago. Yeah. So for you guys it was a week ago. We're sorry. Uh so seventy-eight is the next date I have. Do you have anything between seventy three and seventy eight?
1: Ah yes I do. Oh good. Um now we uh we've talked about um in previous podcasts GE's interest in medical fields actually from from a pretty early time in its corporate history. The company was involved with Different medical technologies, um, electronic medical technologies. And, um, we also talked about a superconductive magnet, uh, that they created. Well, this is where, um, we're starting to get into the, uh, heavy duty, um, high end, high tech scanners. Uh, 76 is when they created a computed tomography scanner. Ah, CT yes. scanner. Um, and this is a time when uh, GE's units have worked together. There's a group at the research and development uh, center, and and also at the medical systems division, uh, can do cross-section X-rays in five seconds, um, greatly speeds up uh, medical diagnoses. So that is a, a pretty a nifty technology. And also, um, something else that was sort of curious back dating back to our first podcast on GE, uh, 1976 is when the company chose to acknowledge its. Hundredth anniversary. It's centennial, and um, in what year? Seventy six. Seventy six. I thought crazy. I'm sure it was. I I had uh, seventy eight. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, that that would yeah. I do too. Sorry, I had uh, looked down at the wrong thing. But that's um yeah that is coming up because uh eighteen seventy six is when Thomas Edison uh, opened his laboratory. Um, but the Edison General Electric Company. Uh, which is one of the two companies that, that went in to create General Electric, was founded in 1890.
0: Yeah, 1878 was when he founded the Edison Electric Light Company, which I guess is what GE uh, identifies as being the seed that it grew out of.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Sorry about my date incorrection. Oh, point. no,
0: no, no. I, it, it just made me think that maybe – because, again, we, we look at different – Chris and I both do our research independently so once in a while especially for something as complex as a corporate history you can come up with some conflicts in dates uh but in this case it is uh, uh 1978 was when they were saying they were 100 years old and apparently i would say it's the electric light company that they're looking at not the electric company hey you guys uh but the uh, electric light company that that was the the basis for their 100 years they counted from that point even though the edison uh, General Electric Company didn't start until 1890, and the General Electric Company itself didn't – that merger didn't happen until – what was it? Like 96, 1896, something like that.
1: After um, that. Oh, it was even after that. Well, no, after after 1890.
0: Yeah. So anyway, you've got this whole uh, – it's 1892. Uh, you've got this whole uh, centennial – problem here. When do you trace your
1: history back? And We this have the case, same thing with IBM.
0: Yeah, same thing with IBM, where they, they have a date that is slightly different than the date when the, the company was actually incorporated. Right. But yeah, they celebrate their, their, uh, their centennial. Now, this goes all the way back to the days at Menlo Park, New Jersey, which is now called Edison, New Jersey. Uh, it's where Thomas Alva Edison had his own research lab. And... Uh, that year, they also introduced a new kind of, a, a couple of new products, including a new type of technology about, uh, helping you wake up.
1: Yes, the first programmable digital clock radio. That's that, very nice to that's have. It's
0: a great way to celebrate hundred years. <laughs> <clears> throat> <laughs> throat> <laughs> it's been blinking twelve since then. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, a, so that was one of the two products I had for that year, the other one being an over the range microwave oven.
1: Oh well, yeah, the spacemaker. But they also came out with the FP1 and FP2 food processors. Ah, uh, yes, uh, which are really handy if you need to chop up a whole bunch of veggies in a hurry. Very true. Um, yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, that we've talked about repeatedly on the other two podcasts is GE's diversity in its businesses. Now, of course, they're all um, revolving around things you can do with energy, um, and, uh, and and ways to add to them. Uh, so, you know, you've got your big stuff, you got dynamos and, and, uh, nuclear power plants, things to generate electricity. You've got, uh, uh, jet engines and other transportation stuff that uses energy to get you from place to place. And you've also got, uh, small appliances and, and other appliances, larger appliances that people use in their home to take advantage of, of, uh, energy. So there, the idea of, um... One of the things that GE identified early on was its desire to uh, come up with a whole range of stuff, ha ha range mm-hmm. um, that uh, that people could use to make their lives better. And um, so uh, we are, are are not teasing them about the digital clock radio or food processors, but uh, you know, it just it really does show the the breadth of stuff that they are doing. Yep. Um, also, in uh, '78, they got 8- hundred sixty five patents awarded to them in the United States. They were the first organization to get 50,000 United States patents.
0: Yeah. That number is going to go up, by the way. We'll have we'll have more on that number as we go on. It's pretty crazy when you look at the number of patents that were awarded to GE over its history. Yeah. Um, the next year I have is 81. Do you have anything between 78 and 81?
1: Uh, no, I don't. And 81 was sort of... Talk about crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you had... You had uh, the, the, chairman and CEO retired, Jones retired, and yeah. John, Elf Wel- John F. Welch became the new chairman and CEO. Oh, you mean Jack?
1: Yes. Jack. Yeah, we're in a first name basis, yeah. me and Jack.
0: Yeah, I'm not. Mr. Welch became yes. chairman and CEO. <laughs> uh, GE developed a method, uh, to create fiber optic strands. They would actually create these, uh, these ingots. And would pull strands of, of material from them that would create fiber optic lines.
1: This, this is what I think is crazy. Yeah. Three foot, the, the, uh, the quartz ingots we're talking about are three feet long. That's about a meter. Yeah. And they can be stretched into fiber optic strands 25 miles in length. Yeah. So it goes from, you know, I mean, a mile is what, 5,280 feet?
0: Yeah, give or take nothing.
1: Give or take nothing. Yeah, it's 5, so 5, that's uh, it's which is, exactly
0: five thousand two hundred eighty feet. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's you know, to put it in perspective, I was trying to put it in perspective because I didn't do the metric translation for the, uh, right, the miles. Right. But yeah, that's that's a long stretch. So uh, just multiplying by one
0: point six. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, then, in, I've got nineteen eighty three. They developed the Cigna magnetic resonance imaging system, mm-hmm. which is also known as the MRI. Uh, which, uh, x-rays are really good for looking at things like bones. Yes. They're looking, good at looking at hard tissue, but not so good at looking at soft tissue. Yeah. You know, you, you, it doesn't show up very well on an x-ray. So, if you're looking for something that could be, uh, a problem beyond just, uh, uh, something that's affecting hard tissue, an x-ray is not your best choice. The MRI, which, which is a technology that was born out of this, uh, this work that General Electric had been doing with magnets for mm-hmm. several decades, uh, allowed doctors to look at soft tissue in a way that they could not before without doing like exploratory surgery. Right. So this is a non-invasive way to get a look at what is uh, going on within a person's body. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, the early MRIs were, Less sophisticated, it took a lot longer to take an, a full image. We've talked about MRIs in another episode of Tech Stuff. Yeah, but um, this was this was really a revolution in the medical
1: imaging field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, we we talked about in a previous episode how um, the two companies that went into creating GE that merged to to create GE were actually uh, dueling it out. Yes. For a very large electrical project back before everybody had electric lights in their homes. Um, the, uh, the Chicago World's Fair, the Columbian Exposition. Um, well, they were chosen in, in, uh, 1986 to participate in another major electrical, public electrical project.
0: They were lighting up a lady.
1: Yes, yes. Um, and this would be Lady Liberty, uh, the Statue of Liberty, um, Given to the United States by the French a long time ago. Well, they were they were redoing the uh, the Statue of Liberty. They were uh, trying to um, uh, clean it up, renovate it, and they redid the lighting from scratch. As a matter of fact, a, um, a GE person named uh, Gilbert Ryling came up with a, a completely new metal halide lamp specifically for this project. And um, the GE research labs and, and Howard Branston, or uh, yeah up with the uh, the lighting scheme for the statue and its torch, mm-hmm. so um, they were instrumental in, in helping redo the the lighting for the for the statue.
0: Also, in 1986, fifty six years after the United States government told GE that it had to get rid of RCA, GE took over RCA again. So they reacquired RCA, the, the Radio Corporation of America. Uh, in 1986, and also, as part of that deal, acquired in BC. So GE once more has uh, has controlling interest in both RCA and NBC. Now, then GE turns around and sells that 50% interest in RCA to a partner company called Bertelsmann. And RCA then changes names. It becomes BMG Music.
1: Yes. Bertelsmann is a uh, German publisher.
0: Yeah. And was, uh, again, partnered with General Electric. So, yes, now you've got BMG Music and NBC. NBC still falling under the, uh, the guidance of General Electric. Uh, also would eventually, um, become part of a, a partnership between General Electric and the company Comcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, by the way, forms the basis of many, many, many jokes found in the television series 30 Rock. Yes. So in 30 Rock, you have Baldwin's character, who is a, a Alec corporate... Alec Yeah, Alec Baldwin's character. It wasn't Stephen Baldwin. Uh, Alec Baldwin's character is a corporate executive with General Electric. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is uh, put in charge of many things, including some of the programming at NBC, which involves the show that, uh, that uh, um, Liz Lemon works on. So he... He talks about how he helped introduce some very innovative products in GE's past, including some crazy microwaves and things of that nature, which, again, poke fun at GE's history with home electronics and appliances. Um, so if you always wondered where those jokes came from, well, it's because General Electric owns NBC. Mm-hmm. And then in more recent episodes, they've talked about uh, a cable company called Cable Town taking over more and more of... The uh, responsibilities of producing the show uh, and and, uh, Jack Donaghy, the Baldwin character, has now become uh, executive with Cable Town. Uh, That's the whole reference to GE and Comcast entering a partnership together and overseeing NBC. So just giving you that background so that you can understand why those jokes are funny. Okay then. Uh, And in 1989, they actually launched the Consumer News and Business Channel or CNBC. C NBC. Yeah. It's a twenty-four hour news channel. It's sort of a competitor to CNN.
1: I was going to say they'll never make that work. Oh, yeah. Um, in nineteen ninety, uh, Simplicity, which spelled with a C, which is spelled with a C, is a, uh, a computer system that basically uh, tracks how automot- automotive bodies are traveling through um, the manufacturing process. Yeah. So they know where parts are headed and where everything is going and where it's been, so they have a, a good idea. And it's been adopted by a lot of the automotive industry today.
0: Yeah, it's a administrative software, which yeah. really helps you know what's going on at any given time during your whole process. You can look at the supply chain even and say... Well, you know, we're going to need to address this because it's going to become a problem if we don't take care of it at right. this point. So it's, it's very useful. Again, one of those things about improving efficiency. Mm-hmm. So not terribly exciting to necessarily a, a consumer, but it does ultimately affect the consumer because by improving efficiency, you can do things like take down, you know, keep prices low. Yeah. So it's, it does end up affecting us in the long run. It's just at, when at first glance, you're like, well, that's okay, but I don't see why it, it's important to me. Mm-hmm.
1: And then in 92, the uh, Mars Observer rolled out. That was the uh, first newspaper on Mars.
0: Yeah, uh, it was very effective. Um, it's weird because it, it came out in 92, and the only comic strip it's running is Marmaduke. <laughs> uh, no, this was actually... Because it had M-A-R
1: in the name. Satellite. That studies Martian geology and climate and maps the planets. Surface. Yes,
0: so it's a satellite. It's not actually a newspaper.
1: I enjoyed the joke, though. Yeah. Um, and then in 93, the uh, uh, GE Medical Systems and the R&D Center again went in on uh, creating a magnetic resonance therapy system.
0: Uh, also in 93, GE sold off the GE Aerospace Division to Marietta Martin, which would later become Lockheed Martin. Yep. So uh, this is another one of those instances where GE did divest itself of part of its business. Not Didn't do so that frequently, uh, just once in a while, so... Um, yeah, it's not, not one of those habitual, let's purchase everything, every company we can see and then sell off stuff that doesn't work. Uh, that doesn't, that's, that doesn't tend to be GE's approach.
1: Yeah. But, uh, it's not, uh, it also doesn't herald the end of GE's involvement in transportation. as we. That's through. true. Um, oh, I'm going to yeah. let you take lead
0: on this because you took much more detailed notes in, during this era. Whereas this is the part where I started to, uh, started to, to check my Facebook status.
1: This is the part that's really
0: Exciting. Okay.
1: GE Plastics became uh, yes. the first <laughs> – you could tell I went to GE.com to get my information. The, GE Plastics was the first um, part of the company which made it the first Fortune 500 company to go online and had its own website. The
0: first Fortune 500 company that was not
1: a computer company. Right.
0: We need to be specific. So Funny GE, how
1: they omitted that
0: part at GE. have to be really careful here. Yeah, GE was one of the first Fortune 500 companies to have a web presence. Uh, that, first Fortune 500 companies that didn't already deal exclusively with either computers right. or networks. So they were a non-computer, non-network company that had a website. And that was, um, that was kind of a big deal. Now granted, back in nineteen ninety four uh, really all they had was a looping MIDI and an under construction gif <laughs> but uh, that's not true but uh, yeah it was it was of course it was much more static than uh, than future websites would be, but in just two more years uh, GE the company would launch its own website, which would become uh, kind of a hub for lots and lots and lots of different businesses also they launched another uh, project which was a uh, one that was in partnership with Microsoft
1: yes. MSNBC, yes, which was yeah part of the Microsoft Network and NBC together. Yep, working on a project of uh, you know it's um, a different sort of news station. Yep, um, and is still on the air today. Yep, um, 1998, um, a new uh, CT system um, using uh, new technology that allows them to get multiple images at the same time and speeds things up than uh, other single slice scanners. Um it was the, I find this interesting it was the first design for 6 sigma project that made it uh which means fewer than 3 defects per million opportunities so it was supposedly uh, I'm I'm going by GE's information so I, I don't have anything that says otherwise Right um very very reliable
0: Yeah I I mean that is very significant it's, it is It's uh you know you, we kind of take it for granted that when stuff is put together that's done so flawlessly. Mm-hmm. But in real life, that that just does not happen. There are going to be flaws. And sometimes companies catch them before mm-hmm. they go out to market. Sometimes consumers find out about them and then there's a recall or sometimes there's a patch of some sort if it's a software type thing. Um, we've seen that recently in 2012 with uh, Apple. Apple had released uh, – a new iPad in the spring of
1: 2012
0: mm-hmm. and the Wi-Fi versions of the iPad were uh some consumers were reporting problems with it and so Apple has essentially had a capture and release program where you bring your iPad in that's having issues and they'll replace it for you yeah. and that me- that could be anything from a faulty chip to just a faulty process in the manufacturing line uh, but that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. So this—that that is why this is significant, is that you might just take it for
1: granted that things
0: work. Things don't just work. We have to work to make them work.
1: Yes. And you remember when we were talking earlier uh, on another podcast about the powerful engines, um, this is what I meant about them not getting out of uh, transportation entirely. The ge ninety one fifteen b which is a catchy name, uh, was a, a – jet engine that uh, Boeing requested of them, 115,000-pound thrust engine used for the 777-200LR and 777-300ER, uh, was the most powerful commercial jet engine in 1999.
0: I have one fact in 1999 I want to share that I know is not part of the GE timeline that Mm -hmm. I would like to mention. Okay. So in 99, uh, an interesting company became a subsidiary of GE. Oh, yeah? a, A company that also has a very long history. Yeah. Montgomery Ward. Really? Yes. I G- had no idea. GE was a major shareholder in Montgomery Ward. You know, We talked about how GE would invest money in other companies.
1: Yeah, Montgomery Ward was a uh, department store. And a catalog company. And a catalog company in and, the United States.
0: And so uh, and there is a Montgomery Ward that still exists today, but it's a different company than the one that I'm talking about here. Right. Mm-hmm. In 99, what happened was Montgomery Ward, this catalog company and department store, went into Chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, GE then ended up taking over and it became a subsidiary of GE. Now, it would... It would later fold completely. The company would just fold, uh, within a year or two. Yeah. So, uh, but I just thought that was interesting. It's one of those things where, you know, it's, it again shows you that GE was diversifying by investing in lots of different businesses, not all of which were successful. Right. But, uh, um, just one of those things that I thought was an interesting fact about GE and I wanted to mention it before we, uh, said goodbye to and partied like it was 1999.
1: Well, they also came out with a uh, an anatomical mapping technology that gave people uh, or doctors more uh, more of a vision into what uh, where the locations of disease were. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were the first, uh, according to GE, to introduce full field digital mammography in two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, they also started doing uh, a lot of e business. Uh, they were making more than two billion in nineteen ninety nine in e business, and they opened a, a global research center in Bangalore. Hmm. in India. So they were uh you know really opening it up to uh you know becoming a real global company uh where they had other units in in other countries like that. Yep. And then in 2000 uh they had a power plant on wheels.
0: <laughs> I saw that. It was a it like, a, uh, a, like trailer. a truck. Yeah, a trailer truck. And-
1: however, the TM 2500 uh could produce 20, 22.8 megawatt, or yeah, megawatts. Um, the was the largest gas, m- largest mobile gas turbine generator set available and can be uh, shipped via land or sea. It Only takes days to set up. However, it could be very useful if you need a portable generator of well, that yeah. magnitude. I mean,
0: think about like disasters. You know, mm-hmm. for example, uh, Hurricane Katrina, when it hit New yes. Orleans, mm-hmm. there were entire huge sections of that yes. region that were without power. So these sort of of advances are very important for those kind of events and not just those as well, but there are others. But yeah, for disaster relief, this would be phenomenal.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, The 2000s, I would say, are are characterized in GE's history with a lot of medical advances. Well,
0: and I should also say, before we jump into that, 2000 was also the centennial for GE's research and development division. They, They had formed that in 1900. By 2000, GE's R&D division held, or had had been awarded, sixty-seven thousand five hundred eighty-eight patents. Mm-hmm. That is phenomenal. Now, granted, keep in mind, patents really only protect a uh, a process or a technology for a limited amount of time. So, not all of those patents were active. It's not like GE could sue you for making another light bulb because that patent has expired decades ago. So, patents tend to last either fourteen or seventeen years, depending on the type of patent. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, just wanted to mention that. And it, oh, also in two thousand one, uh, we had another change. In fact, uh, Welch leaves in two thousand one, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey R. Immelt becomes chairman and CEO of GE. He's the current head. What? Yes. Nothing. You're just staring at me smugly.
1: Yes, I just happened to have been affected by that change.
0: Oh, you yeah, w- were you? Of, yes
1: what happened well no and my my previous no. employer yes I worked for the Home Depot uh-huh. uh, on their website yes and, uh, I worked there during the years that uh, Robert Nardelli um, was the CEO of the company and yep. Nardelli and Immeltz were in competition for Welch's job
0: oh. so I,
1: I just sort of smirked because I go huh and see this stuff touched me and I you know You wouldn't have thought it would. 2001 also marked
0: an effort with GE trying to merge with another company, a company they had a a history with, Mm -hmm. a little company called Honeywell. Ah, yes. So Honeywell, you know, that was the company they sold their computer division to back in 1971, I think. Uh, So they tried to merge with Honeywell, and they were even approved by the United States Department of Justice Mm -hmm. and 11 other entities. But they encountered a tiny little problem at the European Union. Really? Yeah, they said that uh, this is violating some antitrust laws, and so the merger was blocked. So it was one of those major events that really kind of opened everyone's eyes to we are a global mm-hmm. entity now. It's no longer companies within, working within the confines of a single country mm-hmm. because now you're talking about how uh, – Almost all the world can approve of something, and one part of the world can say, mm, "No, no, that violates this law,"
1: Yeah. and that will block it. The merger is up, and it's blocked.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a big deal because it looked like it was going to go through until the European Union came in and said, "No, we won't allow this to happen." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that's a that's a, was a multi billion
1: dollar deal that, mm-hmm. that fell through. Yeah, yep, that's amazingly huge. Yes. Uh, one, one thing, um, there were several different uh, imaging systems and uh, other things that were introduced and, you know, we'll touch on a few of those uh, because there are tons of them in the 2000s. Yes, yes. Um, but they did, uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting in 2000, uh, before we get too far ahead, was um, they, uh, GE developed the first diagnostic agent for objectively identifying Parkinson's mm-hmm. um, called DATSCAN which basically is a uh, liquid that they use to uh, show the contrast between healthy and affected parts of the brain. So they weren't just developing the systems. They were also developing the agents that help those systems work, uh, made it more effective. Uh, Also, uh, before we leave 2001, I find it kind of funny uh, because uh, (laughs) after all this, GE uh, invents a new kind of incandescent light bulb, the uh, the reveal, which uh, if you look at them, they're kind of blue- bluish color, Mm -hmm. uh, if you live in a country where they still sell incandescent light bulbs, Mm -hmm. as we do. Um, And they also uh, changed the way that uh, compact fluorescent lights, uh, or as we call them in my house, curly bulbs, um, are, because they they redesigned the geometry, the way that the tube itself is shaped, so that it would be more compact and fit in places where a traditional uh, um, incandescent bulb would fit, which is helpful for those of us who have light fixtures that we're made for incandescent bulbs, but right. we don't want to replace the entire lighting system. Right, right. Um and that's, you know, again useful because it it helps uh speed the adoption of that technology, which is a more energy efficient technology. Mm-hmm. Um they were in space again, uh working on the uh International Space Station in two thousand two. Yep. Um They also uh did you talk about the four D imaging? Ah, uh, the the GE Voluson seven thirty? Yeah. No, I didn't.
0: It's kind of neat, yeah. They talked uh, so in 2002, they they introduced this this technology uh, mainly for ultrasounds, which allowed physicians to actually view 3D images in an ultrasound live. What mm-hmm. was happening? So it was rendering live 3D images, which is a big deal. It, it helps a lot when you're trying to to diagnose potential problems or just look at the general health of a of a of a patient. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a. I thought that was pretty cool. I also thought it was neat in 2003 how they uh, introduced something that is just now starting to really get a little more traction, uh, which is this idea of having appliances that talk to each other.
1: Yes, the um, the Profile Harmony Closed Care system, mm-hmm. which you know is marketing jargon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically it's a washer and dryer that that talk to one another theoretically to, um enable better care of your clothes.
0: So, for example, if you set your washer to wash things that are designed for permanent press, it would communicate that to the dryer so that the settings would already be there when you transfer the the items from washer to dryer so that it uses the right amount of temperature and the right duration to get your your clothes dry without damaging them. Mm -hmm. That's the idea behind it. Now, today we're talking about appliances that have even greater ability to uh, send information back and forth between each other and try and personalize your experience to yeah. a higher degree. But it was this sort of stuff back in 2003 that's kind of the uh, building the foundation for that.
1: Actually, it's funny you would mention degrees because I was going to mention the TriVecton uh, yeah. GE profile ovens that combine thermal, convection, and microwave technology. As not, if, if I'm not mistaken, and I didn't watch a lot of 30 Rock, but I think this is one of the specific technologies that, uh, he was supposed to have come up with. Yeah. And, uh, I think
0: it also could transform into a dangerous robot that could wreak havoc across the city.
1: Well, it is supposed to speed up your cooking time. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, 2003, they came up with the H system, which is, uh, first the jet combined cycle system that, uh, and the first that can do uh, better than 60% efficiency. Yep. Um, and um the very wise very wise trucking system using satellite and cellular telematics to track trucks, yep. that's sort of like the uh, uh the technology they were using in the warehouses yeah the simplicity
0: yeah. from earlier yeah
1: they they once they found systems that work, they began to look at
0: uh, ways to apply that across other industries, which you know that's that's a, a viable approach. so uh yeah, so again, another one of those ways of looking at supply chains,
1: well, the, uh, Centricity was a, uh, medical systems release that they worked into the, uh, Indiana Heart Hospital. And it was a way to, uh, use digital patient records, data, and medical images. And basically anybody who was in the hospital, you know, the, on the <laughs> random people could come in and look. You no, know, uh, doctors and, and medical personnel at the hospital could check from wherever they were and see how a patient was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's those things are all very similar.
0: Yep. Uh, skipping ahead a little bit to 2004, mm-hmm. uh, they developed a couple of interesting technologies. There was one called Street Lab, which was you know, a, oh, yeah. a, a sort of a portable, a portable lab that could uh, uh, analyze and identify materials like powders, pills, liquids. So this is sort of the stuff that law enforcement or military officials would need in order to to identify potentially hazardous or illegal materials. Yes. Uh, they also demonstrated that, uh, OLED technology could be used in lighting applications, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, that's again, you know, we talked about a few times about how they have, um, how the company has, uh, has pushed lighting technology uh, going beyond just the incandescent bulb, which formed the very foundation of GE's business way back in the day. Yep. Uh, they've looked at fluorescence and LED and OLED technology as, uh, as ways to light areas in your home.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in 2004, um, they found a new, uh, application for that plastic that the company invented on accident. Yeah. Lexan. Yep. Um, the Illuminex films, basically, uh, something that would interest tech stuff fans. Um, they use them, films like this in, uh, LCD screens, Mm -hmm. um, to give them a more evenly lit surface. So, um, you know, they, they, they use the, the hard plastic as a very thin film, uh, basically in the guts of the screen to do that. And then I, I didn't mention that uh in 2000 again Lexan shows up. SLX they use a a color infused uh plastic that they were using on cars. So they're they're finding new ways to use this plastic in very thin sheets mm-hmm. uh that can be used for these different different applications. Mm-hmm. Um let's see. Um okay. me- Go ahead. I was going to say uh, GE Healthcare, again, with the high-def magnetic resonance systems. Yes, this is
0: 2005. Yeah. Yeah, this is where they were able to increase the resolution on those MRI scans so that uh, doctors could get an even better look at what's going on in that soft tissue.
1: Yeah, and apparently, according to GE, this is very useful for kids and people with Parkinson's disease, because um, this particular type of machine, this high-definition machine, is better at capturing people who can't hold still. If you've never had an MRI done, um, you're supposed to be perfectly still. For you're supposed quite to, a while. For quite a while. Well, it depends on what they're doing, but it generally it could be anywhere from a few minutes to a few hours. And you hear this loud knocking noise. Or a buzzing, as I did. Yeah. they do give you used uh, the warning people they gave you headphones right they gave me headphones but I could hear through them yeah um so uh yeah so this is this is a benefit uh for for doctors because they uh they don't need you to be quite so still mm-hmm. um they were uh <laughs> in lighting again uh 2007 they came out with a, a vo or VIO, VIO mm-hmm. a high power white LED yep and this is um this is moving toward using these for uh Lighting in buildings, um, they used a proprietary technology to do uh, uh, to do a hundred kelvin color shift, less than hundred kelvins over fifty thousand hours yeah. so that's a big step up from uh, Edison's bamboo filament light bulb yep, yep. of you know a few hundred hours
0: that same year they created a twenty four cylinder gas engine.
1: Yeah. Uh, they also
0: <laughs> create. Did you see the hybrid locomotive?
1: Yes. That's actually pretty cool. Well, it uses a regenerative braking process. Yeah. And it, so you know, uh, they use this in cars too. When yes. they are braking, the train is storing up energy that it can be used to power the locomotive, and it cuts yeah fuel use by up to eighteen percent.
0: Yeah, and emissions up to fifty five percent. So it's, that's that's significant. You know, it may not be as dramatic as one would hope, but that's every little bit helps.
1: Well, and, and trains are used so much still around the world. Oh, yes. I should tell you all goods.
0: about that. My house is right <laughs> across from yeah. some train tracks, so I get to hear it every day.
1: Uh, I can't tell what animal made these. Oh, those are train tracks. Yes. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. They were um, – well, I was going to say in uh, – uh, not to jump too far ahead. 2008 Virgin yes. Atlantic with Richard Branson. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of their jet engines used biofuel. From a uh, a jaunt over in uh, in Europe, from Heathrow in in London to Amsterdam, they used coconut and barbasu oil,
0: uh, and uh, that's the, just
1: one of those engines. They they wanted to try it out, yeah. So uh, and it worked.
0: And that same year, they uh, the labs at GE created a. Super hydrophobic nano coating. So hydrophobic means that it repels water. It it does not, it does not like, hydrophilic would mean it clings to water. Hydrophobic means it repels. So uh, why would you want a hydrophobic coating? Well, it could be really useful for a coating on things like jet engines when you're traveling in, at altitudes where normally ice could form on different components. If you have a hydrophobic Coating on top of your equipment, then it helps prevent that ice formation. And also, very uh, important.
1: Yes, yes, especially for things like jet engines, It also uh, keeps uh, dirt buildup to a minimum as yes. well. Um, because if it has less moisture, then that uh, you know the moisture would cause the dirt to clump.
0: What's irritating is when you try and wash the uh, the, the vehicle. The sponge soaked with water will just jump, literally, out of your hand and fly 15 feet across uh, the tarmac.
1: So in 2008, That's he said, true. moving on, uh, printed. They they've managed to uh, come up with a way to print OLEDs.
0: Yeah, this is uh, OLED sheets mainly for lighting. Uh, they're not printing a display in the sense of like you know, oh, I need a 17 inch display, let me print one up. It's more like printing up these OLEDs that are meant to just be uh, lights. Uh, but yeah, they were using technology that was essentially based on newspaper printing tech. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. They just, you know, took this, this old technology for printing newspapers and found a way to retool it so that they could print sheets of OLEDs.
1: Yes, which is nice considering. The state of the printing industry. Hopefully, some of those <laughs> can people be came... re-
0: can be repurposed. Yeah. 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 Well, oh, speaking as help. a
1: former newspaper reporter, um, they uh, in 2009 found was that a- for the Mars Observer. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Explains a lot. Um, 2009, they found a way to save 500 gigabytes on a single DVD-sized disc.
0: Yeah. If you want to know how significant that is, if you were to have a dual-sided DVD with yes. four layers of storage you could hold maybe around 17 gigs of info. Mm-hmm. So using a same-sized uh, uh, medium – now, keep in mind, this is a DVD-sized disk. It's not a DVD itself. but Using this holographic storage, you could store 500 gigs of data. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that, is, that is a huge improvement. Of course, we are moving toward a solid-state kind of approach where optical media are less important for mm-hmm. most of us. Uh so in a way you know holographic storage may not become a big deal but still pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um they also came up with smaller ultrasound devices. Yes. Uh there's one that's a, a the um Venue 40 which is a, sort of a tablet size and there's another called Vscan which is pocket size and this is this is good for for two reasons. I mean you would imagine that you it would be nice to be able to carry this around without having to wheel around a cart. Mm-hmm. Uh as as I've seen in some places. I imagine it would also be uh, very useful in places where medical equipment is more dear, Uh, places where uh, it might be hard to get medical equipment of that nature in or out. Yes. Um, So having these portable devices um, would be easier for doctors to come in to an isolated area and... Uh, help diagnose and treat patients.
0: Yeah, they are, they were also, uh, they started to, to work on, or continued actually to work on creating ways to sequence DNA mm-hmm. faster. Yep.
1: yep. Um,
0: to make that, you know, the whole DNA sequencing, you know, of course, we've, we have figured out how to do it. It's just a question of creating the, uh, getting it more efficient and more, uh, so that we can do it uh, more quickly. Mm-hmm. But also they, uh, developed some interesting wearable sensors.
1: Yeah. I like that. Um,
0: designed to to test the air for t- toxins. Yes. So this would be something that you could put on a uniform or uh, other piece of clothing to help indicate when things are um, going bad. You need to get the heck out of that area. Yeah, it would it'd be a like a more badge. more sensitive than a canary.
1: Yes, you could wear it on a badge on your, your uniform or or your coveralls or whatever yeah. it is. And if you were in an environment where – um, toxins are present. There were toxins yeah. present. It would change color or, or or give you some other sort of notice to let you know that it's time to go. Yep. Um, energy smart LED bulbs. Yeah, twenty ten. Yep. Um, so this is this is really
0: impressive. These smart LED bulbs that GE has created uh, are seventy seven percent more efficient than incandescent bulbs. They use, in other words, they use seventy seven percent less energy, mm-hmm. uh, and they can last up to twenty two years. Under normal use conditions. Yeah. So think about that. You buy these light bulbs for your house and you don't have to replace them uh, for 22 years. Mm-hmm. I want me some of these.
1: Yeah. They're uh, kind of expensive at this time. However, uh, I imagine that you, if you amortize that cost over 22 years, it probably evens out somewhat. And you also have to think, if these are LED bulbs – they have
0: distinct advantages over fluorescent bulbs. Oh, yes. Fluorescent bulbs, one of the big disadvantages is that there are H-G. some very – There's some very toxic materials inside fluorescent bulbs.
1: Yes, mercury. And,
0: yeah. If you, Quicksilver. If you if you were to break one, uh, then you could potentially expose yourself to very dangerous, toxic materials. So LED bulbs, they don't have that same problem. Yeah. Uh, so there's that advantage as well. So you're like, well, it's more efficient. I don't have to buy them as frequently and it's not going to kill me if I break one. Yeah, uh, it might kill my wallet. Where I think, oh, I spent so much money on that bulb, and I just broke it. But uh, it's not going to it's not going to poison you.
1: I'm, I'm feeling like I have to make this joke. So, uh, thank you, GE, for saving us from, by inventing this uh, this product that say, uh, so much better than the old product invented by GE. Yeah. Um, anyway, you, you brought a good thing to life. Um yeah they also are working on uh, other ways to save energy such as uh uh the watt station yep. um which is what? a device for charging electric vehicles on home or at the or on the road Yes. not on the road but yeah <laughs> i mean they could be uh stationed elsewhere Stationed elsewhere than your house yeah um and uh they've been working on ways to network um smart meters and give you an idea of how much energy you're using.
0: Yeah, they have a Nucleus Energy Manager, which has these uh, these little – they look like adapters almost for a plug. And yeah. then you plug your appliance into that, and you plug that into the wall, and it helps communicate with the smart meter how much energy each appliance is drawing, when it's drawing it. It's really an idea uh, that lets you ultimately micromanage what your appliances are doing, when, yeah. and, and trying to make it as efficient and cost-effective a system as possible. So that way you're not just uh, spending money keeping something active when it doesn't need to be. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, that gets us within the last couple of years. Um, But it it really shows how – what an amazing – amazing hundred, slightly more years it's been for this company. I mean they really came around at the time when uh, electricity was becoming a household – uh, necessity. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, they kind of made it a necessity because all of a sudden we've gone from, uh, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had electric lighting in our house to, you know, they've, they've made all these products that make our lives uh, so much easier. And we've grown accustomed to, and, uh, in some cases need, especially with a medical talking about medical equipment where yeah. it, it's made such a difference in our lives. And, um, I can't imagine that, that Thompson and, and, and Edison and, uh Houston looking back on it uh, at the, the advancements their company has made in, in that time i mean uh going from edison's days of you know a few hundred hours to a, a bulb that will last 22 years under yep. normal conditions um it's 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 just phenomenal really
0: yeah it really is it really is and you know we're continuing to see innovations from GE uh i'm sure the company will uh, will push for being a, a leader in things like energy efficiency uh in lighting and that sort of stuff uh I would be shocked to see them <laughs> <Shocked>. <laughs> I see what you did there to get away from that um so yeah it's uh, this is a definitely an interesting company with a very interesting past uh and you know it's it'll be I- I'm excited to see what happens in the future with it especially uh uh knowing how they do spend so much money and time in in research, pure research, yeah. that uh, it's always a benefit. I mean, I, of course, I, I love to learn and I love finding out new things. So it's always cool when I see a company that's dedicated to that sort of stuff. Again, even if it's not truly altruistic, uh, it ends up benefiting us in ways that no one could have anticipated.
1: So uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, and it's it's always fun for us to dig into these companies and their pasts, too, I think, because... Uh, We find out things about the company that we didn't know before, Uh, products and and services they are are involved in or were involved in. Uh, looking at IBM and some of the companies that that, I, that they rolled off and became huge in their own right. This, this is just one of those fascinating things that we discover when we dig into these, and I've enjoyed doing these.
0: Yes, so have I. So if you guys have a company you think that we should focus on, let us know. Or if there's any other topic you would like us to cover or any particular person you would like us to interview, uh, give us a shout. Uh, but don't actually just shout it because chances are we won't hear you. Instead, why don't you send us an email? Our address is techstuffdiscovery.com or track us down on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
1: Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House Stuff Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.